Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When creative people get together and actually put a bit of effort in, even for no money, you can make great things happen. And what that taught me was, you know, surround yourself with the right people, you know, people who want to kind of bring you up with them, people who you are going to bring up when you get there. There are a lot of people that don't want to do that. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to writer, director and performer Remy Nicole. Hello, I'm Steve Whiteley and welcome to Balancing Acts, a series of conversations with an array of creatives. We talk about their journey, the struggles they faced whilst progressing their career, strategies they use to unlock their creativity, how they balance their career with their personal lives, what impact this has had on their mental health and lots more. Remy signed her first record deal in 2006 with Island Records. Her debut album, My Conscience and I, was released in 2007. And her second album, Cupid Shoot Me, was uh, released two years later. Since then, Remy moved to LA to further pursue her music career and subsequently moved into acting, writing and directing. She's now returned from LA to London where she's developing a short film and a number of other projects. Remy and I know each other from back in the day, which we bring up in the conversation and it was great to catch up and hear how she has managed to balance being a mum of two whilst pursuing her career in the entertainment industry and pivoting along the way to move into writing and directing at a latter stage after carving out a career in the music industry for a number of years. And remember, if you like Balancing Acts, please do rate and review us on Apple. Leave a, leave a lovely glowing review as your Christmas present to me. That would be absolutely delightful. So without further ado, over to Remy. Perfect. You're back in London now after having spent a number of years in LA. Yes. Why don't we kick off with what brought you out to to LA in the first place? Um, So when I was doing music, I had um, a lot of fans were in Portland. And I recorded my um, second album in 
actually I've recorded my first album when it went wrong in London we went to redo it in LA and I loved it and so um my manager was like well look there's this radio station out there they really love you and they want to have a meeting with you and they've got a lot of um Portland listeners or something like that so um I was like all right well I'll go out there for a for a month or so and do the do and then I was like actually I want to move here um and then we my now husband was my boyfriend at the time he's from Australia and he was like I wouldn't mind living in LA for a bit because I can surf and it's close to home so we were like all right so we went out there literally for like two three months or as long as our visas would allow and then that turned into 10 years wow and now you're back in london yes are you pleased to be back i'm so pleased like it's not even that london's home for me like it's just that it's just i just love the city of london as you can just pop out see people do things cultures here like it's easier to get around i'm not gonna lie I did miss English supermarkets. That was quite a big thing for me. Anything particular? Was it Heinz tomato soup or? No, because I could get that for an inflated price. But it was just like, this is so boring. But I'd have to go to like four different supermarkets in LA to get different bits and bobs. And here, yeah. I'd only have to go to one or two. Yeah. So you're saving time. Saving time and money. And money. Here, oh, yeah. It, I'm in Waitrose, like living at large, throwing in stuff. Don't care how much, three pound, whatever. My weekly shopping bill has gone way down and I'm not restricting myself from any treats. Okay, well, you've just changed my mind. I was going to move to LA, but now (laughs) that's it. Uh, I'm doing a U-turn. All right, so prior to LA, I know this is like going way, way back. I remember like this must have been what 15 years ago because you know oh. you, we, we've known each other for a while um granted I haven't seen each other for a long time because you were in LA but I remember about 15 years ago in the MySpace days when you were recording demos in your bedroom yeah and then you put them up on MySpace and one thing led to another and then you got signed to this huge record deal right by Island yeah crazy and everything just like everything just like blew up it must have been like you know at that point in your life your what early 20s it must have been such an exciting period of time i it was but it was also like because i'd always done that i'd always like written songs and like it was just fun for me and so when i was suddenly being offered like these huge record deals and like all these big companies I remember the first gig that I played for record labels like every single record label turned up and there was like I did it in like a pub in Kentish Town I don't know if you came I think I might have done actually yeah Monkey Nuts I think you might Monkey Nuts yeah I remember that pub I used to go there when I worked in the music industry you know you go there scouting for talent exactly yeah and like Bentleys were turning up outside and at that point I was just like wait a minute why like I was like, I'm not that good. Like, why? I couldn't even play guitar properly and I couldn't play standing up. So the Monkey Nuts gig, I had to sit down because right. I've never actually played live before or held a guitar standing up. But how did all the labels hear about you at the time? Did, was it because you literally just uploaded stuff to MySpace? It was like a MySpace thing and, yeah, pretty much. Right. Yeah. And then so from there you got you got signed. There was like some bidding war, wasn't there, between labels? 
was. It was it was nuts. Like now when I look back on it, it was nuts. But when you're in it, you kind of just like, what? Uh, okay. Yeah. And you're just like listening to your manager and just going with whatever, you know, rolling with it. Yeah. But it was brilliant, the bidding was, because I got like people giving me gifts. So like I remember Virgin gave me like Pharrell, a Pharrell skateboard and like some like Pharrell merch because I love Pharrell. And then like Island gave me Arsenal club level season tickets. Just stuff like that. Living the life. And I also remember, didn't Nike send you, they send you crepes oh, regular. So many things. Yeah. And then I could go into Nike and get what I wanted. And like, that is really devastating that that can't happen anymore. Did you get the Nando's black card as well? I didn't get the Nando's black card. Which I would have was... exchanged. I would exchange every single <laughs> I know. gift of what you've just said for a Nando's black card. Although well, I, I don't eat chicken it, anymore. So well, exactly. And I think that that came out post my hype. The hype had died. Oh, right. By then. Yeah. yeah. At that time, it might have been more of a, like a pizza buffet card or something like that. Pizza Hut yeah, buffet. Pizza Express. I would have taken to be pizza fair. Pizza Express. Yeah. 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 I've never been that fond of Pizza Express. Really? I'm I'm very old school. You can't beat a Domino's. You can always beat Domino's. It's the worst pizza on the market. I'd just like to point out to listeners that this podcast is not sponsored by Domino's. Although if anyone from Domino's is listening, (laughs) I'm open for conversations and I'll happily accept pizza as payment. I Um, won't. Domino's not interested. Thank you. Really? Not even if you're hungover? No. Just want to indulge? It's rubbish. Horrible. This is the LA in you speaking. No. I mean, I would take... No, Pizza Express is the lowest level of pizza that I will take, apart from like a pub. Oh, you really, you really changed, Remy. You really. <laughs> <laughs> Domino's is just not. No, sorry. Yeah, all right, fine. It. Well, look, we'll we'll have to agree to disagree here. I don't want I don't want this to get sort of tense and awkward. So no, no. we'll move no, on. Pizza. Fifteen we'll move years on. of knowing each other done over a pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you said before that. You went to LA, you went to Portland and because it went wrong, as in the album went wrong. What what do you mean by that? After the hype and you got signed to the label, how did the things go downhill in that respect? Um, well, there was a lot of hype and there was a lot of, you know, like we said, bidding wars and all of that kind of stuff. But at that time, the radio, I guess, was the gatekeeper <laughs> and you needed radio play because there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't there was yeah. no other to get to your completely different time isn't it it's mad and um from what i understand radio didn't want to play it they they i think they wanted to play they wanted one song to be the main song and then we were like no no we want to build to that song i say we the label and management or whatever this is it's so long ago i can't even remember yeah and then radio like had an issue weirdly i did another gig that the 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 um, head guy at radio came and saw and he had an issue because he didn't think that an audience would understand a black girl singing a song called rock and roll wow um which again different time you know insane isn't it at that time no one everyone was just like yeah they just don't think people understand it but not like oh hold on a second that's full-on racist no one was like oh wait it, at that time it was just kind of accepted and then we just went oh all right then. And everyone just went, oh, all that money we just spent on her. Guess it's gone down the pan. Like, because then once radio don't play you, you're kind of, at that point, you're kind of dead in the water. So that was really the first big obstacle and it came down to your race. Uh, I mean, on reflection, I'd probably say yes. Do you think 
had you been going through that now, if you had that dialogue with the labels at, at the age you are now, do you think you would have been more steadfast or do you think, I mean, cause I can imagine it must be really challenging at such a young age. You know, there's so much riding in this and there's a, a certain amount of pressure. I was saying before, was it, was it difficult for you to sort of voice your opinions surrounded by these people? I mean, I think I just accepted it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, And I think everyone did. Hmm. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there were black people in the label, like one of the heads of the label was a guy called Darkest Beast, who's a black guy. Yeah. I think we just accepted it, you know, um, because that's what it was. And I think like this whole Black Lives Matter thing and like the current climate in which we're in today definitely highlighted for me all the things I have let slide. Right. Because it was a cultural thing. And even like, Growing up, you know, my mum wouldn't say, if anyone says something racist to you, like, you tell them this, that, and it, she'd just be like, you just move on. You know, you just don't, because that, you don't want to cause trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think, like, that definitely was, like, a stark realisation for me during this period of all the things and p- perhaps opportunities that had come down to my race that I didn't realise at the time or just blindly accepted. So when you moved to LA, did you notice a difference in terms of how you were treated or received by industry over there? No, it was worse because then I'd go to, I was starting to do the rounds there and everyone expected me to be doing R&B. And I was like, oh wait, I don't do R&B. And they're like, what? What what do you do? And I'm like, oh, it's kind of, I don't know, like an indie pop, I guess the boxes there are much smaller even to the point that radio segregated into pop rap hip-hop rock yeah they got different stations for each genre exactly which I didn't know so that was a big thing for me in LA because then it was like for the first two years ashamedly I tried to fit into a box and so I was singing songs about the club and it was just so painful Okay. Because that isn't me. Yeah. And the whole aesthetic, everything that I was, I tried to change. And, you know, because I'd gone this far and I had this little taste of success in the music industry and I didn't want to lose it. And, you know, when you grasp onto something so tightly, like sand, it can fall through your hands. So I, that's what happened essentially to my career. And it was only much later on in life where I was like, this doesn't feel right. It wasn't comfortable. Like I was, I was in a lot of situations with um, producers and stuff that were not pleasant. You know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of, I wouldn't say uh, I was me too'd, but there was stuff again that I would not tolerate now that, that I allowed because I wanted it so badly. Yeah. You know. So what point did you get to where you were kind of like, okay, I've had enough of this. You know, you're saying you were forced into a genre that didn't feel natural to you and you're being treated this way. Did you reach a certain point where you're like, I've given this my all. Now I need to focus my energy elsewhere. Uh, yeah. I just kind of stopped for a minute and um, I had, you know, some money in the bank and I was living in LA and we just had fun and just like that was when my journey of like um I probably like at that point started 
looking I've always been quite spiritual but like started opening that channel up a little bit more and doing things that had nothing to do with that um exploring other avenues I did a clothing line I almost opened a restaurant I did other creative um ventures and also just took care of my like like soul and myself and my mental health more at that point that was more the focus um and it was brilliant to be honest yeah I think it's like you get to when it comes to creativity it's like ebbs and flows isn't it and sometimes you reach a certain point you're just like you've got nothing more to give and so you yeah. take a step back and then that's where you just go into other areas and then I, I also think like you need those adventures. You need to be doing, you need to have other life experiences, which can then inform creativity further down the line. Of course. And I always had a studio. So anytime I felt the need, I could go and write a song. I've done like so many EPs. They've never been released. Yeah. Um, but the, every time it was before, again, Instagram, whatever, every time it was like sending it to someone, you know, like when you're in that position where everyone's like, you know, trying to, it get a piece of you and then it it fails yeah and these people who were waiting outside studios for you for five hours now aren't answering your phone calls it's quite it's something to kind of you know digest and it's hard um and so then you're writing all these other songs that are actually better because you're way you've got way more um grit mm. and you're going listen to this listen to this now you know and it's like they say they want hit songs and you know I'd like to say that I would know what a good song is and I'm sending these songs and I'm like this is great this is great and then they're going yeah 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 and then you're hearing songs that they're putting out and it's like what what just listen to this like there's potential in this you know what I mean and you can't get it I was working with this huge producer who did like fireworks Kate Perry and everything and this someone had sent me a track of his and I wrote an absolute banger over the top of it. The guy was like, right, you need to come to New York straight away. Like, we got to go for this. And then you think you're getting another, you know, like, oh, okay, brilliant. Flew to New York, was in his like bazillion dollar penthouse, finishing this track. It was fantastic. And then he discovered, uh, what was it? The Landmark. You know, have you heard of the Landmark? It's like a self-development, it's like Tony Robbins type thing. Oh, I have heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. And he decided, I don't want to do music anymore. Like, and he turned it on me after flying me out to New York and everyone being like, this is a smasher. And he turned it on me being like, but why do you want to be famous? Why do you want music? Like, you've got to think about that. Wow. And I'm like, uh, I didn't say I want to be famous, but I do want to write music for a living. And the whole thing got shut down. And he, has he not returned to music? I've never heard of him since. I'm <laughs> racking my brains to think of who this producer is. His name's Sandy V. He was such a lovely guy and I really enjoyed spending time with him and I learned loads from him. Like he was an amazing producer and I learned like so much, but it literally just like went from, I cannot like, I cannot believe you've written this track. Get over here to, uh, I think I just need to do some self-reflection and maybe you should. <laughs> like, it was like, it's kind of mad. I mean, this is going to bring me on to, I mean, we'll discuss this in a bit. That's a great scene or scenario to be writing about. You know, like, it's great material, isn't it? Eventually, like, all yeah. these different experiences you bank because obviously totally. you're, you're focusing on, on writing now, uh, which we'll yeah. come on to. But what a head fuck. I can imagine just getting, being 
totally carried away and excited by something like yeah like you said this is it now this is like this is what i've been waiting for like you can create things and you know you can work really hard but so much of it is out of your control and so much of it comes down to luck luck opportunity timing hindsight you know i've got a million of those stories yeah and you know, i just and and then you become you you begin to self doubt and like well maybe i am shit you know but then you have to be like, well, you weren't shit when all these people were bidding for you. There, were, there was something that they liked. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't necessarily mean because it hasn't happened for you, it's your shit. And even if I am shit, doesn't matter. There's plenty of shit out there. 90% of what we consume is shit. So, um, yeah, that's been a journey of like recognition for me, obviously, and also just coming to terms with everything happening for a reason and maybe this is a good thing. And when I look at my peers that did have huge success from when we all started together, would I want their lives? Their bank account perhaps would be nice sometimes. Mm. Um, But, you know, otherwise, no, like I'm pretty happy. I've lived like a great, I've had great experiences. I've learned from all of those experiences. And like you said, they're all going in the bank for them to, to be relived in another way. Yeah. Because you at that time when the whole label thing, you know, when the whole record label thing was happening and, and it was looking like it was all going to be amazing, you had a pretty celeb-based crew, right, at that time. And I know you're still friends with a lot of those people. Like over the course of time, did you witness firsthand how fame would affect these people, either positively or negatively? Weirdly enough, one thing I am really grateful for is everyone I became friends with at that time was based not on fame or who they were or what they were. It was genuinely based on personalities and banter. It was genuinely based, like one 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 of them was because they were dating someone that I was friends with and they came around and I was watching The Office and they went, oh, and I went, oh, and they stayed for three days. <laughs> that was what that friendship was based off of and we're still close today it was never based of anything more so I'm happy to say that the friendship group that I met through that I am still friends with because it was based on something other than that mm. but of course I did see people affected by it mm. um a lot but I've never been I've I wasn't like new to fame in a way like my family knew a few people that were on the telly or that were in bands and stuff like that. So it wasn't like, I was never like that. Like my thing is like, I'd stand next to Elton John or Paul McCartney and be like, well, but if I saw someone from Towie or Hollyoaks, I'd shit myself. (laughs) More into that. (laughs) Yeah. You touched before how you got into spirituality what was your vibe what were you doing were you opening your chakras or and i know that sounds like i'm taking the piss but as someone who's also deeply spiritual it's uh, of genuine interest yes i was not opening chakras i think my spiritual journey started when i was like a teenager with this book called conversations with god okay um and if you haven't read it i really recommend it it's such a good book about looking at things in different ways right and that was where it kind of started um and then uh it went crystals have always been a big thing for me love a crystal do you do you, um, you know these crystals supposedly carry different energies 
Yeah. Do you get a sense of that when you've got them? Totally. Yeah. I've birthed two children with no drugs with a crystal in my hand. Like oh, for me, you. they work. I had a lot of anxiety. I used to get a lot of panic attacks. Say so used to, they do occasionally return, but um, crystals for me was a really big thing. Like holding a crystal was a really big thing. And crystals actually saved my life. So I used to smoke a lot of weed. And one time, there was what? You and me both, the weed man fucked us up. I know. (laughs) And there was one time, there was like some shortage of weed somewhere in London. I don't know what happened. And I didn't, and I, and I thought, I swore I had some weed somewhere in the house and I was looking for everyone. I couldn't find it. And I was like so annoyed. And I was going to Egypt the next day for New Year. Okay. And so I'm on the plane and I'm starting to have a panic attack. So I reach into this new handbag that I just got and I'm reaching into it to find my crystals and I pull out a, a massive bag of weed. The weed that I was looking for. I don't know how it got there or how it got into the new handbag. And I'm on the plane in the air with a massive bag of weed on the way to Egypt. And like I was like, oh my God. And then my friend who was with me started panicking, was like, we throw it down the toilet. I was like, I've been looking for this and I want to throw it down. So she, he's like, you cannot bring it to Egypt. Anyway, I did, threw it down the toilet, got rid of it. My crystals were there, got them out, just twiddling with them, like to calm down. And um, when we got off uh, Egypt, there was sniffer dogs everywhere. Wow. Can you wow. imagine? Because I would be in prison still for weed in, in Egypt. For sure. So at, in, if nothing else, crystals saved my life because I was looking for them when I found the weed. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've had similar situations like that and I've done the same I mean what yeah I won't go into too much detail but uh <laughs> we've all been there I didn't have crystals unfortunately to calm me down though but what you said was interesting you said about panic attacks because I I had my first panic attack this year although apparently I might well have had them before I just didn't realize I, I was having them whereas now because I'm more in tune with my emotions uh mm-hmm. I was fully aware of it and uh it's, it's a horrible feeling I thought I was having a heart attack yeah I was taken away in an ambulance. Yeah, it happens. And I was just, okay, well, if this is it, this is, this is it. <laughs> my life. life. I've, I've had a lot of Domino's pizza. I'm, I'm happy with my lot. Yeah. No, they're not, they're not nice. Um, they're, yeah, they're horrible. And, um, you know, it's, we've, if you're not taught about them, they can be terrifying. I've called many an ambulance. Um, and my, the worst one I've just had, of recent times was last summer uh where i was with my friend actually who you know too emma in the park with our kids and i was like oh and then it just escalated and i don't want my kids to see that so i like kind of hid behind something and just said like watch my kids and it escalated to no no i'm actually dying gonna have to call an ambulance it can go so deep so quickly um, and then, of course, I didn't die, and I'm still here. Um, since that one really shook me because I didn't want that with my kids. It's like almost embarrassing in front of your friends. Um, and after that one, I've been doing a lot of um, work, and that I haven't had one as bad since. And I hadn't had one as bad for years before that either. Right. 
when you say work, what kind of work? You don't have to answer if it's too personal. No, no. Um, you just, you know, I've got a book that you do some, there's like a workshop book that you can do things on. And it's just about, you do a scan of your body. And like oh, after yeah. having panic attacks this long, you do suddenly have to go, all right. And by the time you do this, the panic attack goes, actually, you have to go, all right, how likely is it that I'm having a heart attack? You know, what other symptoms of a heart attack could there be? What could what could have triggered this? Um, and with that one, for example, you know, at that time, I had a lot on my mind and had a lot going on and you don't have the capacity. Um, and that's why, like, self-care, I know it's like such a, tri- a buzzword these days, but that's why it is so important. Because if you do overflow your jug, as it were, the water spills and that's when you start experiencing panic attacks and things like that. But if you keep your water at a decent level, You'll be all then right. it doesn't get yeah. there. Did you meditate as well? Is that something you found useful? Yeah. Um, meditation has gone out the window a little bit with the kids, but that was a big, um, big thing for me. Um, that really helped when I started uh, learning um, TM, Transcendental Meditation. Okay, how Um, long have you been doing TM for? We started that probably seven or eight years ago. Okay. Yeah, so that's good. And you can always go back to that, no matter if you don't do it for however long, you can always go back to it. And even if you don't find 20 minutes twice a day, you can do five minutes, just like a a a refresh, you know. Is that where the record label money went on your uh, personal? Seriously, uh, that's the thing about these things. Yeah, I have spent a lot of money on um, tests to check if I'm dying and (laughs) therapy and uh, yeah, TM and stuff like that. You know, it's important, isn't it? You know, free, really. Yeah, I mean that's why you come back now, right? Just rinse the NHS. Yeah, you can't get this care on the NHS, unfortunately. But. No, no, but this is elite. If I have a heart attack, I can call the ambulance. <laughs> Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. Another question I wanted to ask you was, so during this time where, you know, you've, you've been sort of progressing the music and then, you, and then you've sort of moved into to writing and obviously you, you've acted throughout as well in between these various projects you've also as you said before you've had two kids so how have you found the time to balance being a mum and pursuing your creative endeavors you know it's it's definitely harder because creativity can strike at any time and if you've got a kid hanging off you you can't really do too much about it yeah luckily I've got you know a supportive husband supportive family um which does help Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's just about finding those moments for yourself, uh, whether it's 10 minutes before bed when the kids are in bed or after dinner and like just sitting down and like just having that moment of silence where if ideas strike, then you can just drop them down so that when you get a second, you can pursue it. Um, 
but you know the big one's at school now and uh the little one is having his daily naps and stuff so it just has to be a bit more organized creativity which doesn't always work yeah I was gonna ask you that so what do you do when you know if you've allocated time for your organized creativity and and it's not happening do you just stop and you're like all right there's there's always tomorrow or do you try and push through uh depends sometimes I can try and push through and sometimes I can just stop it gets annoying if you're like oh what was I gonna write what was I gonna say you know what I mean um but we have just built a little shed office thing in the garden which is going to be like adults only and uh, because also I found that space is like a big like your space and surroundings is a big thing but when I had my little studio in LA even if I was in there for 10 minutes it was more productive than sitting on the couch Mm. like I just feel like having a dedicated space for that with things that inspire you all around and just having that kind of association with this space being a creative space is really helpful. Yeah, definitely. It's good to differentiate between, you know, your everyday areas where you, where you work, you might look after your kids or you might just be slouching around watching the TV and then having somewhere else to go where you just immediately feel inspired. Exactly. Although I never, I never, I never immediately feel inspired. Oh, don't you? I no, as in like i walk down the street and it will happen would you say sorry that's embarrassing because i do it's embarrassing yeah <laughs> that's why i did this podcast i just like nick other people's <laughs> ideas how to how to become inspired um as in like you said just like it will pop up randomly you might be doing something randomly you get an idea i always find that's where the best ideas will usually come from where i'm doing something completely different your subconscious is working Wow. Yeah, exactly. And they can stack. For example, the first short that I wrote during the pandemic, which is a drama, um, I was walking down the road in 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 um I'd listened to a radio article about this guy who'd watched children uh City of God. Oh yeah. And suddenly got all these violent thoughts, and it's about intrusive thoughts, right? right. Then I became pregnant with my first kid and I was getting mad, mad thoughts. And they're like called intrusive thoughts. And you have thoughts of like harming the baby or like nuts things or like what if something happened, like really horrible intrusive thoughts. And that gave me an idea for, for, for a film. So I kind of loosely jotted it down. But initially the character was a man who was having intrusive thoughts based on the, the radio thing that I heard. Once I got pregnant and, and there was a pregnant woman in it, once I got pregnant and I started having the thoughts myself, I was like, that's weird, but didn't think anything else of it. And then one day I'm walking down the road and I put it down. And one day I'm walking down the road and this I had a hot coffee in my hand and the cyclist was um, cycling towards me. I'm not a psycho, but the thought did cross my mind. What if I threw this hot coffee in her face, which is awful. But that thought, intrusive thought happened and it's kind of like a, a, a thing of like, having that power and knowing what you can do with it and basically what keeps us from being psychopaths is the fact that we don't do that psychopaths actually do follow on those thoughts so that was really interesting to me like why did that thought just come into my head and then it reminded me of that film idea I'd had a few years before and then I got pregnant again and I was like right let's change this up and so that was a period of like three four years in which the first idea had come and then it stacked and it changed and it evolved. And now it's two completely different characters than where it started. 
it's a really good point that sometimes you just need to let ideas brew. Exactly. Like you can have an idea, but you know it's not quite right. And then you just park it for a bit either because you're frustrated or, you know, as you said, you've had a couple of kids that's kept you busy. Yeah. And then you come back to it and then you find some breakthrough, either intentionally or as in your case, you have an experience like, oh, that's informed what this thing is now. And I'm going to I'm going to go in this direction. So did that then open it up for you to think All right, I'm going to star in this? Um, no, because the characters are now, um, again, informed by, inspired by the events of what's happened over the past couple of years. Um, I got really obsessed with, um, not obsessed, really interested with the um, trans community. I was watching um, a, a trans show and there was all this stuff like Trans Lives Matters and, you know, seen as Black Lives Matter, I had to then go, well, all lives matter. And how would I feel if a trans person got attacked? Would Because I'm not trans, would that still resonate with me like George Floyd did or, you know, other racist events that I can relate to? You know, I'm I'm Jewish as well. So, like, when anti-Semitic things, I can relate to that, you know, but I can't relate to a trans person. So... Having had two boys and, you know, they could grow up to be anything, I have to make sure as a parent and me and I discuss this, like how would we feel if our kid was gay or trans or whatever? Um, And like kind of, you know, think about that from uh, how do we feel about gay and trans people and people different than us? You know, we can't just fight for things that are only about us. So through that process, I got to know a bit more about the trans community and it's such a vibrant community and the stuff that's happening, especially with black trans people is so disgusting and horrible and there's not a lot of visibility for them. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to be a filmmaker and I'm going to make films, I want to make films that not only are impactful or, you know, have all the elements that one would want in a film, but also give opportunities to people and 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 give visibility to people who might not otherwise. Mm. Um, because I would want that. Um, I want visit. I wanted visibility on my music. I want visibility on my filmmaking. I want, you know, I mean, everyone deserves it. And and so, are, if there are marginalised groups that you that I had taken an interest in, it made total sense for me to learn more about that those groups and um write them into my film instead of using you know a white guy that we've seen a million of or you know what I mean so I can't play a black trans woman so I cannot be in the film and the other woman is a white lady so I can't play that either <laughs> and are you have you finished that script now that film's yeah that's that's um going into production now hopefully okay. you're gonna be doing that in spring Okay. And how long has that process taken from inception of the idea to finishing the script? Like three or four years, I'd say. Three or four years. And then how did you bring together your production team? How did that happen? Because it's not like you've come, all right, you've, you've been in sort of the entertainment industry, but you haven't been working in this specific area as a writer yeah. or in production. So it was relatively yeah. new to you as an experience. How did you navigate around that? So basically 
another thing that I did when I was doing music was I had this idea before Beyonce, might I add, to do a, a film for each song on my EP, right? And I pitched it to a few people that I knew and everyone was like, oh, it's really good. Blah, blah, blah. And then Beyonce came out of Lemonade and I was like, well, I'm not going to compete with that. But I did manage to get one of the films made for a song called Lit by the Moon, which was going to be the um, the first song on the EP. And we made this kind of spoken word funny with a with a director that I'd met in, in LA through another friend of mine who did a music video for another friend. We made that and that turned out great. That was like, again, like four, five years ago. Through that, I'd met that director. Then years later, when I'm finally ready to put out this EP, I meet my now manager who sees that and says, this is amazing. We need to turn this into a TV show. Don't put out any music because I was really ready after this massive sabbatical or whatever to put out music. And they were like, don't put out any music. We're going to turn this into a TV show. So the director of that ended up developing a visual deck. I ended up working with a writer who you introduced me with to Zara. The only reason why I asked this question, just so I could get that credit. (laughs) You got the credit. Uh, And now that piece became a TV show. And so through the contacts that I made through that is where when I then wrote Wild Bloom during the um, during the pandemic, I took it to the manager, I took it to the director and I said, look, I want to make this. Um, my neighbor at the time was having a baby pregnant and she's a script editor. And I was like, do you want to take a look at the script? And so... She was like, yeah. And so she put a bit in and we ended up like doing a co-write on it. And it was just, it ended up being this group of women all coming together to, to, to go with this. And then, and then also side note, I'd made a, a proof of concept. I acted in a proof of concept and the cinematographer was this woman who we then became, uh, we became friends and she was like, I'd love to shoot this. And that's how the team keeps growing, basically. So whilst LA supermarkets might be expensive, the advantage is you live, you're likely to live next door to a script editor, which will help get your, your project made. Yes, but you say that. But honestly, I went to one kid's birthday party here and made more contacts than I had in LA. And the thing is here is that people actually do what they said they're going to do, which doesn't often happen in LA. But yeah, that's an advantage of LA too. Was there a moment in your mind when the manager said to you, don't release any music, we should turn this into a TV show. Was there a part of you was like, okay, here we go again. You know, I've had this in the past where I've had execs tell me what to do and it hasn't gone according to plan. If so, what made you listen to him and and decide to follow his advice? Her advice, don't be sexist. Um, I did. I did correct myself before. I will just say a note to the listeners. I corrected myself before Remy corrected me because uh, I'm a very. I'm. I'm, I'm a woke. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all going to be edited. <laughs> um, I look. I still feel like that, if I'm honest, and I've had this conversation um, with her. Because, you know, you, you do, there is an element of waiting for people that I don't love about this. But at the same time, you have to also trust people whose job it is to do that yeah. and to help you make decisions. 
And so, yeah. And the fact is, you know, at that point, I'd been gone so long to put out an EP. It's like, who's going to actually listen to it? You know, how much work would have to go in to doing that? Um, whereas this could be a completely fresh direction and my music is going into it. Right. So that's appealing. So your music's going to be in the soundtrack? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. The TV show is called Lit by the Moon, which is based off of the song. Okay. So you're going into production for the short, which is going to act as a taster tape. Is that right? Uh, no, the short, we've already done the short that is the taster for the show. Okay. And this, this, this intrusive thoughts short is a different thing. Okay. And how did you find the process of making the taster? Loved it. Great. You know, when, when creative people get together and actually put a bit of effort in, even for no money, you can make great things happen. And what that taught me was, you know, surround yourself with the right people, you know, people who want to kind of bring you up with them, people who you are going to bring up when you get there. There are a lot of people that don't want to do that. Mm. Um, and that's kind of how I segued into filmmaking because I find it a much more collaborative process anyway. And I enjoy that. And I like working with people. And like, I just had a, a Zoom meeting before this, um, working through one of the scripts of a comedy short that I'm doing in the new year. And, you know, no man is an island. And there's there's conversations that can inspire other things that are better than what you've done. Yeah. And they're just conversations. And I think that you grow by having those conversations with people. I think if you're insecure, you're not going to want to do it because you're going to think, oh, they're going to steal my ideas or, you know, that's going to be better than mine. So you don't want to indulge in that. Yeah. But actually having those conversations can make everyone involved a better director, a better filmmaker, a better writer, a better person. Yeah. I remember when I started off making stuff, doing everything, seeing the sketches, be acting and then writing or directing. Sing the theme tune. Yeah, one of those ones. But it was, to be honest, it was more due to necessity than anything else. You know, it didn't have the contacts at the time. And then over time, you begin to understand how it works and the importance of collaboration. And as you say, ultimately, that should lead to better work as a result. Absolutely. Some of the best things that I love are partnerships. Stephen Merchant, Ricky Gervais, you know, like you can't, you can. People do write on their own. But even like if you watch famous directors and things like that, no one's like, I've got an idea. I'm executing the idea solely by myself. The idea was 100% me, nothing, you know, inspired by nothing else. That's just not how the world works. We're pack animals. And I think sometimes and all too often we, we, we take ourselves out and become, you know, we want to be the altruistic and we're like, you know, think we're the greatest but I think once you start bringing people into your fold and building communities you you get better stuff like I just watched this uh Jamie Foxx saying about uh Kanye bringing him into the studio for you take my money yeah, you know that's like that's great like Kanye didn't uh, Kanye's an egomaniac and he even he knows that yeah you know? Yeah, for sure. So what's the plan then now? You're, are you going to be pitching it to, to broadcasters? Is that, is that what's happening now? That's what's happening now, yeah. We're pitching it to uh, production companies and networks. Okay. Yeah, just now it's all about the uh, manifestation. Get those crystals out, girl. Crystals out. <laughs> <laughs> 
So do you see this as like, this is Remy 0.30, like yeah. Remy Web 3.0 almost, where now you've moved into the next stage of your career as a writer, director? I think so. I think the other mistake that we make in life is that we can only do one thing. And I think I spent so long trying to claw back that initial hype from singing and music. Yeah. And then it's only recently that I've realized it's not the music that it was storytelling. It wasn't the, I didn't want to be a pop star. Like it wasn't like, you know, being famous or and getting a number one record that drove me. It was, I loved writing songs and I still do. Yeah. Um, but now I write songs in the form of spoken word or poetry or a short film. They're still songs. They're still stories and some of, you know, and if they have a melody and they have a cadence, you know, writing in general, good writing, I feel like has, you know, it has a melody to it. It's, po- it's poetic, even if it doesn't rhyme. Um, and so for me, like, I, I realise also I'm quite, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not shy. don't know if you know that about me. I am quite private and you know, would I want Paps following me everywhere and all of that stuff that comes with being a successful musician a lot of the time? No. And there are other ways to for me to export what's in my brain and they can be musical as well. It doesn't mean because I'm not being a pop star that I don't, I can't write songs or I can't put my music into things. I can put my music into my own short films if I want. And so, yeah, this does feel like a natural progression from that bit more mature as well Mm -hmm. I don't want to go on tour and leave my kids it feels like a mature progression it feels like something I can do as a mum and I feel like you have to be this old as well because you need to have like that much experience and like stuff that you've banked in order to have like you know solid stories I think that definitely helps yeah unless you're just one of those little annoying geniuses you know, they yeah. just pop out of their mum's womb and they've just got stories to tell. Yeah, but I don't want to be an annoying genius. No, no one wants to be an annoying genius. <laughs> I mean, I've been labelled an annoying genius, but, you know, personally, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. But if that's what people want to think, then that's fine. That's yes. their prerogative. Uh, so we've talked about career. What do you do outside of work to relax and unwind? At the moment, I don't have a huge amount of time to do much else, like other than like if it's not you know work and stuff it's like kids um but I watch Succession avidly uh so a lot of it's just sitting on the couch with a glass of wine bottle of wine yeah it's the time of year for that (laughs) yeah exactly yeah I've I've got a real chocolate problem at the moment it's it's causing me mayhem (laughs) every night it's it's the Oreo dairy milks They're good. I do a whole nut. Uh, yeah, whole nut's very old school. I feel like, yeah. you know, maybe it's time for you to progress, you know? Well, I've also got Tony's. Tony's is great. Absolute rip-off. Rip-off. I mean, but... like five quid for a chocolate bar. I mean, they are really good. But did you know that Tony's don't use slave children to make the chocolate? And did you know that slave children were used to make the chocolate? Because I didn't until I started Tony's. So if you don't want to pay five quid for kids to be slaves, it's up to you. Are they still slaves, though, the kids? They're in the chocolate industry. Really? 
Yeah, I mean, my kid would definitely be a slave for chocolate. He'd do anything for chocolate. So obviously, yeah, like... I'm a slave to the chocolate. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until I'd read Tony's. But anyway, I don't know how slavey dairy milk are because I have been to the Cadbury's factory and I didn't see any children being slaves there. So In Birmingham? I spread, yeah, I don't want to spread fake news about that. But, um, you know, when I was in L.A., this is a random one and no one ever believed me, but my thing to relax, my thing that was like always the go was golf. Really? You're a golfer? Yeah. I'm not anymore. I haven't golfed for ages, but I discovered golf and it was like, what have I been doing all these years? Golf for me was like meditation. There's this little ball, you pop it on the thing and you, all you have to do is concentrate on hitting it. Mm. Anytime I felt stressed, any anything, I'd go to the driving range or to the, these little like you know par three golf courses. It was brilliant. It did wonders for my creativity, wonders for my mental health. It was fantastic, um, and it was close to my house. There, here, I have to go quite a way to play golf. Yeah, I've had a couple of lessons in the past. I just like smashing the ball really yeah. hard. But when it comes to putting, I don't have the finesse necessary or required. But that's the thing about golf. People think, oh, old man game. And it is. And the reason why I don't like to play here either, because those golf clubs are quite stuffy and people look at you like, what are you doing here? But golf teaches you so many lessons about life. It is the game of the gods. What is the number one lesson you've learned about life through golf? Well, number one, you're only playing against yourself. Mm -hmm. So you will get out what you put in. Okay. Number two, patience. Number three, focus. Um, you're outside, so you're within nature, so you're not like distracted by your phone or anything like that. And it's for me, really, the number one is just focusing on that one thing. Your mindset has everything to do with golf as well. Like if you're stressed or if you're like angry and stuff like that, you will not hit a good shot. Yeah. So it's just about like taking that time. The whole setup for a golf shot is like composure getting, make sure your foot works right, making sure your grip's right, getting that composure, getting your head in it. And then you hit the, the ball. And when you hit it and you make a nice shot, it's like better than sex. I love the the sound it makes as well. When the <laughs> club connects with the ball. Beautiful. Great sound. Okay. So golf has been your thing. And are there, you, you mentioned this one book you talked about, uh, Conversations with God, but are there any other books that you've read over the course of your life, Remy, that have had uh, a major impact on you or inspired you in some shape or form? I, well, I think reading, which I don't often get a lot of time with too, but reading in general is so great because, um, there's a book that I'm reading at the moment called My Year of Rest and Relaxation. And just the way the writer describes things is so visual and it helps with writing. Okay. I can see this girl so clearly. I can see her apartment. I can see everything she does so clearly because of, that, because of the writing. But in terms of that like spiritual books, obviously there are the classics, Power of Now, Secret, when I do find merit in all of those things. But I think fiction and like, um, like this book that I'm reading can really help build ideas, see things from a different perspective, see how things are written. Even just one sentence that is described in a way that you wouldn't have done it 
can inspire a whole other idea that has nothing to do with that sentence. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do think reading is really important when you get the charge, um, chance to do it. You mentioned The Secret, which is about affirmations and positive visualization and manifesting. Is that something that you incorporate into your life and, and have done in the past? I have done in the past. Honestly, I've really struggled with that. I've, and which has taught me that I have more self-doubt than I thought that I don't that, you know and that I do think a lot of the a lot of things that have happened in my life have been down to not believing in myself right um I know deep down that I do but surface things like I said things that have happened can shake that I will say lately um I have been doing a gratitude journal it's only been like 10 or 11 days since I've been doing it religiously. And that I was going to say is a thing like that has been like really helpful for me because it's just taken that one time out of the day where even if I'm tired, I go to bed with like a tea or something, I light a candle, whack a dippy on, get my little notepad out and just write down five things that I'm grateful for. And just even that five minutes of focus and calm that's a kind of meditation and I definitely have seen results in these 10 or 11 days interesting and that is something like you know you try and tell people about and you do sound a bit wacky but actually I think as with anything uh that someone just told me the acronym of KISS keep it simple stupid for anything the best songs are simple you know Ed Sheeran who's the biggest whatever I mean, you know, I I wouldn't say I'm an Ed Sheeran fan, but you can't knock the simplicity and reach of his songs. You know what I mean? Like the best films, simple, the best writing, like everything, keep it simple. And I think we can overthink things and go way over like what's necessary. But actually, if you keep it, bring it back to basics and just sit for five minutes and go, I'm really grateful today that I did this, 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 or I had this, this and that that can do wonders. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've, I've been doing the, the gratitude thing for a while. And, but then what I find happens after a while, I just repeat the same things that I'm grateful for. I mean, how many times can I say I'm grateful for my health? I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm healthy, but again, really, you know, I feel like I'm yeah, on autopilot. You get sick, you'll be grateful for it, won't you? But Good. you can be more specific. Like you could be like, I'm so grateful that I cycled further today like it doesn't need to be it can be more specific in your health because yeah. i'm obviously okay grateful for my kids like how much can i be grateful for them you know say it every day but then i can be more specific i'm so grateful that today marlo did this or wilder did that you know what i mean you can go a bit deeper yeah i think i'd uh, a bit i like... had the same problem right okay that's well, good to know you can be grateful for my advice tonight I was going to say, I'm, I'm grateful for knowing that you are having the same issues showing your gratitude <laughs> as I am. Very grateful. Yeah. Um, final question yeah. I'm going to ask you, Remy Nicole, is what does the idea of balance mean to you or not? Balance. I would say I've been very good at balance. Uh, the idea of balance is uh, having as much fun in your life and as much happy times as you have straight uh stress or bad times if if sometimes it's like that that's okay but 
you know, sometimes the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And sometimes, you know, they're equal. I would say that balance is definitely just keeping an eye on when things are going too far one way. Because even if the, if if you're super, super happy all the time, um, obviously people think happiness is the goal and it's a destination. But I think it's more of a journey because if you don't experience dark, you won't experience light. So if you were just solely happy all the time, you would write really shit songs. Look at Adele. But she has to kind of find some happiness because if we have another album of heartbreak, it's, you know, it's just, we're not going to believe it, I don't think, after another album. So you kind of have to have, just always have in your mind that when things are great, that's great and to be grateful for them. Um, But there's always more you can do and there's always more you can strive for. And even if you're really, really happy, you don't want to just, you don't want to ever arrive because if you're, there's nothing else to do if you've, if you've made it. So you can be happy with your progress and happy, you know, where you are, but there's always something else. And I think that creates an equilibrium. That's a very, very good answer. Uh, Thank you very much. Where can people find out about what you're up to is social medias the place are you still on myspace they're gonna have to call me because i'm really bad at uploading on social media or saying anything but um i'm really good on the phone so just give my number up yeah i guess yeah. <laughs> if they really want to know completely go against what you're saying about your privacy and just give out your number no but i mean i don't mind sharing with people who are actually interested specific questions I don't think everyone needs to see where I am and what I'm doing all the time or my kids but no I am on Instagram Remcam but I, I do need, I do need to do a bit more on there okay so it's, it's fine I mean uh, I'm pretty rubbish on the old end I go back and forth that as I'm sure balancing acts audience will be only too well aware of sometimes I'm, I just want to delete the whole thing you know like what what is the point of this well, I mean literally yeah. what is the point of this thing <laughs> But then other times, you know, got a few minutes spare in the day and just have a little browse. You know, I like to see what I like to see what LeBron is up to. You know, I just get a little peep into his life, a filtered peep. I just get to see, oh, there's LeBron James. Yeah, people love it. I know people love it. I did. I just did a renovation. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Should I have? In my highlights, I renovated. Uh, we renovated our house, and I did a a thing called renovation, and I took everyone through the steps. Oh, and I cool. love doing that. That yeah. was like not like personal. It was more of a thing. Um, and people loved it. And I still get messages. I got one today being like, please, 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 more renovation. Wow. Um, but I've got nothing at the moment because um, we're not doing anything. DJ Spoonie does that. He's got an Instagram for his place that he's renovating. They're big. Everyone's doing renovation instas at the moment. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's big. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to shell out hundreds of grand. Hundreds of grand on a property so I can I can get some brand endorsement deals. There you go. I did get some free stuff from it. There you go. It's worth it. It's good. All right, Remy. Well, it's been lovely talking to you. Uh, Thank you. Welcome Same back here. to London. Thank you. I'll see you tomorrow. Perfect. Perfect. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.